And today we're fortunate to have two of our very good friends, Albert and John, um, who are going to engage in a personal conversation about creative rituals and how to continue to be creative within the new normal. Creativity is actually problem solving. Look at that as, as what can we do to address that in a creative way. I believe that you're born creative and it's intrinsically part of how you are. There will be new innovations. There will, one thing I can bet on with technology and the things that we create, there will be a new thing. Welcome to our discussion on creative rituals as part of the virtual festival, Nature X Design. Featuring world-leading designers, Albert Shum, Chief Vice President of Design, Experiences and Devices Group at Microsoft, and John S. Couch, Vice President of Product Design at Hulu and author of The Art of Creative Rebellion, How to Champion Creativity, Change Culture and Save Your Soul. This discussion will focus on their rituals for creativity and methods for connection during these times of isolation. Presented by Tea Leaves, tea blender of choice for five-star hotels and Michelin chefs worldwide. And now, you. Our approach to blending is not limited to teas and botanicals. With deep-rooted values in craftsmanship, innovation, and art and beauty, we blend techniques, stories, people, companies, and ideas. This talk is moderated by Tea Leaf CEO and co-founder, Lana Sutherland. How do you define creativity? On uh, something that I, I think it's really important, I think especially in these unprecedented, uh, really, uh, times that in, in some ways it, creativity is so important. It's such a challenging, challenging time. I think maybe for me now creativity, it's about adapting and how you adapt to the change in environment and change in uh, the way we work, the way we connect. I, I think we're finding new ways to be creative which is really adapting to new situation, finding new, new, new processes, uh, new connections, uh, new modes of connection that literally, I don't think any of us were on virtual Zoom calls for Seattle Design Festival last year to now we just kind of take for granted, like John was saying, he's on the call for online for seven hours a week, a day, uh, not a week. It used to be probably seven hours a week was a lot, now it's seven hours a day. So you imagine the last five months, we've gone through such a, a, a transformation in how we live, how we work, how we, how we just go about our lives. And so I think creativity is really this ability to now to, to adapt and, and how it's how do you generate that creativity or generate that energy to adapt to me, that's in essence creativity now for me, uh, much more than like being creative, like working on a design problem. It's actually all the things around the design now is so much more important uh, to be creative, to to allow us to to find new ways to to create. Uh, so so at least that's a very long long answer to a pretty simple word, create creativity. But I I think it's such a complex uh era we're in now so love to learn more from the audience from the chat uh from john yourself on 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 this really important topic so thank you um what's interesting about creativity for me is the fact that i believe that you're born creative and it's intrinsically part of how you are because creativity is actually problem solving and that can be 
problem solving a design. It can be problem solving when you're putting the next color on your canvas. It could be problem solving when you're making a song. It could be problem solving when you're making a new company and you're thinking about what happens next. The challenge that we're in right now, I've been thinking about this, is that there's a lot of people who feel like, wow, I have this extra time because I'm at home and that why am I not being more creative? And so they put a lot of pressure on themselves to write the great novel or you know, make a great uh, composition or whatever the case is, or you know, figure out their next startup. But in reality, I find that creativity comes out of centering, out of being quiet. And the difficulty right now I think that we have is that because of the state that we're in with the pandemic, because of the George Floyd you know, social unrest that happened, the what's happening with our government in general, this doesn't allow for one to actually center. It, it causes a, a constant state of low-grade anxiety, which makes you feel like it feels like an indulgence almost to think creatively at that point. You feel like there's so much of your attention should be spent in this kind of high stress anxiety mode that it makes it very difficult to do the one thing that's necessary for creativity, which is focus. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have focus, and focus is not like some disciplined thing, it focuses actually an ability to be in the moment so much that you relax into what it is you're doing. But when you're in a constant state of fragmentation, whether it's through social media or concern about your job or concern about what's happening in the world, it makes it very difficult to be creative. So I think the challenge for us now, uh, ironically, it's a little bit meta, is to figure out how to be creative through problem solving, which in itself is actually creativity. Creativity often kind of gets put into the category of this mysterious thing that you have to access when I think it's actually the natural state of human beings and you just have to reconnect to that state. Super interesting. I mean, adaptation, you know, problem solving. I mean, very interesting. Thank you both for that. Um, so how do you think that, um, how does creativity change in the context of the uncertainty in which we're all we're all finding ourselves? I, I'm a I'm a big advocate of Stoicism and um, from the Greeks as well as you know as I showed in the video. I'm also influenced heavily by Zen philosophy, and I, and I truly believe that everything is uncertain, everything. And so the the reality of COVID is, is that it brought to the fore on a very direct level, how uncertain the world is. But over the last two days from the back of my house, I've been watching a fire over the mountain, um, which is not too far away from us, it's north of us. And this is already becoming fire season. And so for the last couple of years, my wife and daughter and I have had to evacuate our house. And it became pretty much clear that everything is in a constant state of uncertainty. You know, and there was a point that we stepped outside of our house a couple of years ago when we were packing up and we looked at each other, my wife and I, and said, are we okay if we lose everything? Because we can lose everything. Over a hundred paintings, all of our stuff. And all of our stuff kind of came down to a box of photographs, interestingly enough, and important paperwork like you know, birth certificates and the deed to the house. 
But when it came down to it, we got into the car and realized if we had to, we would get through the loss of everything. And we've gone through a lot of loss in our lives, like many people have. And I, what became clear is that humans crave consistency. We crave stability. But in reality, the only thing you know for sure is what's happening in this exact moment right now. And everything else is kind of a projection into the future, as well as a, uh, a remembrance of what has happened in the past. And whether or not you are traumatized from the past or you're, or you're you know actually learning something from the past in reality the only reality there is is right now in this exact moment so what creativity does is that allows you to be in the moment completely and rather to be in the moment completely right now allows for creative thinking to arise but if you don't do that and again going back to my earlier point when you're in a constant state of distraction and anxiety it doesn't allow you to do that. So I think what's interesting about this time is that what it's done universally for us is re we realize that things that we took for granted, um, it's kind of a cliche, but you shouldn't take them for granted because everything can change in a moment and it has been changing. And so I think what's interesting is that what you can do in order to alleviate any kind of um, anxiety around the uncertainty is to take action. And it's interesting that the human mind tends to be very uh, action focused. So the moment that you actually do something, and it could be literally writing down on a piece of paper all the things that are bothering you and making a list and then striking through that list tends to help a lot. But what's interesting to me is hearing about people who've been under a lot of stress and have been able to deal with that kind of stress in a way that I can't even imagine. And there's, um, there's a famous Top Gun pilot, actually she was the first F-14 Tomcat pilot named Carrie Lawrence, first female, sorry, F-14 Tomcat pilot. And she's a, currently, you can go to her website, it's Carrie Lawrence, L-O-H-R-E-N-Z.com. And she's a speaker about what she learned. And I saw her speak about four years ago, and actually I'll take it back, six years ago now. And she talked about the, uh, a, a term that kind of really resonated with me was that focus destroys fear. And what she meant by that is she illustrated it through an example of um, a fighter pilot that was trying to land on, the, on a carrier. And as this person, and it's a video of this, was trying to land, this pilot couldn't do it. It was a nighttime land, and then he had to turn back around. And so the problem with this is that as you're beginning to land your plane on an aircraft carrier, you're dropping fuel, you're running out of fuel very quickly. So you only have so many attempts, so, so many attempts to land the plane before you are going to have to lose the plane. And it's, it was really nail biting to watch this pilot because he was losing his nerve as, as he was coming in. And what they say is a way to mitigate the fear of like, I'm not going to be able to make it. So they use a code word called bingo. And he would say, I'm about to bingo, I'm, I'm in bingo. In other words, I'm going to lose everything. And they're like, no. And you heard the controller from the ship saying, focus, focus, focus. And then there's these keywords they learn. So instead of like thinking, I'm gonna lose this multi-million dollar plane, I'm not gonna land, I'll have to eject. He was able to focus because focus destroys fear. And it came, she, he said, she said that he came down, you see the video, and he lands it, finally. Wow. But the, the takeaway from that is that we have so much 
noise in our brain about like what can possibly go wrong. Mm -hmm. That the thing is that in this moment of anxiety, if you're able to reduce that to focus, mm -hmm. and focus, the quote I would say, take away is focus destroys fear. Mm -hmm. And that can be as simple as in this moment, when you're not sure what to do, and you feel like everything is going to hell, is to literally just make a list mm -hmm. of things that both bother you, and then a secondary list of things that you can do right now to address that. And that's creativity. Hmm. I love that. That's great. What a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Albert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely, I, I think focus is, it's something that I think it's kind of building on John's words, at least for my team and, and working with, you know, when you're working, everyone's on a V team now. It's all virtual, right? I think, mm. I think how do you collaborate and how do you bring creativity with a team? I think focusing that energy is so important because it's, it is easy to jump on a zoom call and say like, Hey, what's everyone doing? And then you kind of, and, and it's really easy to dissipate that energy and, 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 and kind of in the typical design thinking process, you're diverging, converging. I, I think how do we use adapt these current tools and still be creative and still be collaborative and still focus the team and, and bring energy to solving that problem for your customer, for, for the project that you're working on. And I think one of the things we've been trying to do is actually take advantage of this medium that we have right now is actually, how do you create more inclusive processes? Can you create, because one, one of the benefits of having more, and, and again, this is something where everyone's still working on, having diverse team is making sure that you have diverse perspective. Mm -hmm. So you need people to, to bring their views into the work and using Zoom, using using uh, meetings, uh, Skype, uh, Teams, all these tools, whatever digital tools you use, how do you how do you make sure people participate? Which I think having chat, being able to kind of share your screen, like I think actually the mediums actually made it easier so that you can have larger meetings. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part of inclusion we've been really trying to focus on is, you know, we work with teams around the world. So we have teams in India, China, uh, parts, different parts of the United States. No longer do you need to be like, hey, everyone needs to be in Seattle to have this meeting. Uh, it's actually what one of the benefits we found back to that creative collaboration, making sure everyone's being heard is making meetings appropriate so that at different time zones, um, we would have meetings at night so that uh, participants from uh, Hyderabad could join uh, so we could uh, do a design review, whereas before it was actually pretty hard. Um, we would actually have to fly every quarter to China and India. Now, you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, so I, I think actually in some ways it's made it harder uh, to be creative, but it's also, I think there are some benefits or, or ways we've adapted that made our meetings, our creativity process uh, problem solved together uh, more effective. Um, so maybe that's something to, 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 for all of us to think more about how, how can we be creative and continue to work collaboratively to bring that focus into our work using these digital tools, this, these different means of um, communication, so. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting, the, the, the issue of Zoom, it's been both, it's been, a it's been wonderful, it's a blessing, and so there's a lot of, on the ledger, the positives of the right. fact, everything that Albert said, and I totally agree with everything he said. The, the only downside is I see that a lot of human communication happens in a nonverbal fashion by being physically in a space with someone else. And a lot of what we miss is the 
strangely, the, th the hallway conversations, the accidental running into somebody and the ability to go outside and take a walk with someone and have a conversation that's a little bit meandering, but it kind of pulls it back into focus. And one of the things that I miss is just the ability to have the catch up over tea or coffee in the kitchen and the ability to have those kind of unusual moments of like connectivity, which you, you can't really do. So all the, all the good things Albert's talking about, I totally agree with. I do believe at some point there's going to be a hybrid model of getting back into the office because designers and creative people tend to feed off of each other. And a lot of our design is done initially on paper. And so when we get together, of course, there's the Trello boards and mural boards, there's Envision, there's Figma, there's all the digital tools that we use in Photoshop. But in terms of actually getting the initial idea done, there's an interesting thing about actually being in a room with someone, having honestly food present and drinks present and the ability to take post-it notes or drawings and then break down a problem visually together that energetically there's an energy there that's a little bit distilled into a different way when you're on screen and so the interesting design problem that we're trying to figure out like how do we have the best of both when in reality we're probably not going to be in the office anytime soon you know, this time next year, I'll, I'll be surprised and happy and delighted if we were in a hybrid situation. But those are things that I'm also thinking about when uh, leading a design team. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, yeah. absolutely brilliant, obviously, on both from both of you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and just thinking about, I guess, the last thing you said, John, about the, it's almost like breaking it down into the parts from the whole, like the synergy of the whole, like in other words of that ecosystem when everybody's together and the food and the drinks and the random um, runnings in versus, you know, now it's sort of we're all in disparate locations and, you know, you lose those connections and that, that synergy and that flow. Um, so maybe moving on, and I know we have a few and I know you both have such amazing things to say. How can one then create energy, focus, flow in, you know, in this time, in this context of uncertainty? Again, going back to my basic premise of where we're all problem solver, solvers. Yeah. So you have a thing that happens in life and it's neither good nor bad, but it's a thing. And I was explaining this to my daughter the other day as an example, like in, in the mountains here, a, we have a lot of rocks that fall off the, the mountain and they land into the road. And it's just gravity, it's physics. A rock falls. It's neither good nor bad. Now, if you happen to be driving a car when that rock happens to fall onto your car, it's deemed bad. Or cycling to Oregon. Or motorcycling or whatever the case, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. you end up with this yeah. situation where the, 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 actual act of gravity and, and physics falling into the situation is neither good nor bad. It just happened. Mm -hmm. So the question is like, how do you react to that particular energy that's falling and smashing into your car? Now the immediate reaction almost all human beings have is anger, which immediately clouds the mind because you know, anger is easy. Everybody gets it. My, my dog gets angry very quickly and it, you can't fight anger because anger is a reaction to fear of the unknown and of uncertainty. But what you can do is not associate with that anger, but that merely get into a problem solving state. So instead of like wasting a lot of energy and probably 
making yourself feel sick and making other people around you feel sick with the anger of the, let's say the boulder sitting on top of the hood of your car, you have to go immediately into problem solving mode, which is like acceptance. Number one, radical acceptance that this is not fair. It shouldn't have happened. It happened. So what do I do? I call AAA. You know, what do I do in terms of my next steps? Well, I have to figure out like how I'm going to finance the fixing of this car. And again, it's much like the focus thing. Once you move out of the abstraction, the unknown of like, oh my God, what, you know, help me, I'm in panic, which is what anger is, more into like, got it, this happened. What I'm gonna do now is address the problem. And it's, it's not fair, of course, but get over that. Next thing is like, what can I do to address it? So I think in the same way, what's happening in our society, both with, you know, what everything from me too, to what George Floyd experienced, you know, brought to the surface to the pandemic is not fair. And so I think a lot of the human reaction to that is the unfairness of it, because we're, by nature, humans are very much geared towards justice. Like this is not right. So the trick is to get out of the state of pointing out the problem, like this is not right. The boulder in my car is not right. I'm angry about this boulder. I'm gonna post on social media how angry I am about the boulder in my car. To actually fixing the car. Right. to getting the boulder off the car and fixing it. And I think that that's the advantage that designers have in general. And I believe everybody's a designer. Everybody can problem solve in different ways. Mm -hmm. So the trick is collectively, how do we take this amazing potential for creative problem solving and activate that and move out of the state of like almost being locked into inactivity because we feel like there's too many things that are messed up you know but reducing it down to simple things what can i do today to address one thing that pushes the thing forward and and again i'm going to weave a few things together one one of the things that video showed at the top um was the fact that i spent a lot of time doing what we considered multitasking but i don't really multitask because i multitask horribly but what I do is I stay in a state of flow so I can move from doing a spreadsheet of headcount allocation for 2021 and then seamlessly move into painting and then seamlessly move into writing. And most of the time I realize I, I can't context change. I can't context change. But I realize if you elevate your thinking to a constant state of just being in a state of flow and, and centeredness, there is no context changing. It's just... It's just all one thing. What we want to do is make sure that we have the perfect environment to design or the perfect environment to, to write or create, but there never is going to be. Right. There's always going to be something screwed up. There's always going to be a rock falling on your car, so to speak metaphorically. It's, it's probably, I hope maybe it's coming through the way I, I, I kind of respond to these questions is, is kind of back, back to the creative process. I, I actually use this, I actually I share this with the team. I, I, I call it the reflect, respond, and re rethink. I know it's three R's, but like this is, but this idea around creativity, it's like if you, if you take, take a moment, and it sounds such a privileged thing right now to actually have that moment, and I totally appreciate like how much anxiety there is in the world and, and how much pressure there is, um, but, but, but make time if you can and to reflect, uh, reflection is such a, like John, which I, I love, you know, his morning ritual, like making time to reflect, use that system two thinking, the back of the mind, that 
everything everything's start and center everything's like you're constantly like oh what's my problem what's my task what's my calendar that's always going to be in front and center but having that system like reflecting on on the issues or like like and that's why i, I tend to even not respond when i do a crit i kind of like oh ask questions and then i tend to respond the next day or by writing out so here's what i think here's what, like like be more thoughtful before you respond i think so much of our world right now is is jumping to reaction, right? Because we're constantly on. Like that's why, like Twitter, like a lot. Again, I have friends working on Twitter, so I love. Like, like we're 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 in this cycle of constantly reacting, reacting, literally pressing that like or unlike button. You know, we're conditioned, we're being trained, we're habituated. You know, that dopamine hit, hit to like re react, versus reflecting, and then responding. That's how you get that creative flow. That that at least you know talking to John, which I really appreciate. Like, then you, then the last part is actually rethinking. What are you learning? Like when you're creative, I always try back to that diversity of perspective, looking at the problem differently. That's when you rethink. That's when you, I think designers, one of the amazing things is actually being able to see patterns, being able to connect the dots. Like, wow, I, no one else can actually see those patterns except when you actually have that ability to think creatively, to look at things differently, then you see a new pattern emerge. And that's when the goodness is. That's where the that's where the edge is. Like you don't like if you keep on designing the middle, you, you'll get good stuff. But let's at the edges that you're gonna find find that richness and pushing that those boundaries. I think that's by rethinking, getting different perspective, rethinking like, hey, the world is much bigger than the West Coast of the United States, and technology doesn't need to need to be one way. How do we how do we think about more of a global perspective on how customers or how people are using technology in their daily lives like getting those perspectives rethinking will help bring that creative energy so so i think reflecting responding and then rethinking that's that's the way i've been trying to work with the team uh and and kind of bring that creative process to life so um again it sounds very privileged and i i feel yeah. so much for, for everyone in this current environment, it's so hard to have that have that space to reflect and, and respond. But but if, if you can, please please try to try to do it. Mm -hmm. it it's interesting you mentioned the privilege thing, Albert. And by the way, I, I love those three R's. I'm gonna steal those from you. <laughs> um, but I, I remember one one of the things that designers do well is that they empathize with the user. Right. And to your point about we are in. in the very fact that we have computers and we can actually zoom with each other, we take as an assumption. But I remember in my early 20s being very poor. I was a struggling, classic struggling artist and designer. And I remember very much what it was like to be in a state of just trying to get fed and trying to find a place to spend the night. And I, I did the classic bohemian traveling across Europe <laughs> thing when I was in my early 20s and lived in London and Paris. and. And I was doing very much, you know, kind of Henry Miller-esque kind of approach to like living life and and uh, trying to just live it. Like Newt Hampson's Hunger was like the book that I, I read a lot at that time. Mm -hmm. And when you're young and you're capable of putting up with a lot, it's a very different thing because I was only responsible for myself. But even being responsible for myself and being hungry all the time, your creative thinking reduces down to like, how am I going to get fed? And then if you are in a current situation where you are a single parent with children 
and you are just trying to pay the bills, but maybe your, your gig economy job is no longer there, then the idea of like creatively problem solving is so far away from your head. And the thing that got me out of a reactive state and the state that you're in when you were poor and hungry is fear-based. It is like survival, literally. The thing that got me out of it is learning how to meditate, not to start pushing meditation on people, but literally the only way to start to think creatively is to stop the monkey mind of fear of like everything falling apart for just a moment, giving yourself 10 minutes where for a moment you don't let anything else come into your head but the present experience. And when you do that, suddenly creativity is allowed to come in. And that's what kind of got me out of the state of going, something is wrong in this hamster wheel. How do, how do I get out of this? And I was in my early 20s and I was already in a hamster wheel of like not knowing how to get off this weird trench that I was in of like just trying to get by. And that required strategic thinking, which I didn't really understand until I was able to slow down and map out on a piece of paper. And the power of writing down your intentions and your plan on paper changed everything for me personally. I started to apply design thinking to my life because I realized in that moment that the most important design project of my life is my life. And why am I not approaching my own existence the way that I would approach a client's problem? And so in a weird way, I flipped it on myself and go, well, how, how can I design my own reality in a way that I would design, like objectively looking at myself, not as I, but as a, as a project. And it really changed how I thought about things and in a lot of ways, again, not to show my book, but part of the reason I wrote the book was in order to help people who are like myself when I was early in my career that was starting out. How do you maintain a life as a creative person without suddenly feeling like I have to give it up and become Michael Scott in the office? You know, like suddenly becoming someone who I'm just gonna get by, you know? And so I think a lot of a lot of what we can do as creative leaders is help to inspire people to activate what's already latently in them that already exists but they have lost contact with. Because I have this very strong theory that everything that you want to do now, let's say in your 30s or 40s or 50s, is a thing that you wanted to do when you were five or six years old, but you have completely lost connection with that. It's still there, but you just decided not to connect to it. Because how many people do we know that give up their dream to be a poet or a rock and roll star by the age of 28? And then they realize, I got to get a proper job. So they do that and that proper job kind of becomes their job. And then they get into a relationship, they may have kids. And the reason why I think so many people have their midlife crisis around 40 is that they suddenly realize that they've done all these things to survive and they've gotten these titles, but they don't know what it is they connect to anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important, whatever job you have, mm -hmm. you're capable of doing so much more than the parameters of what you think that you are given and that can literally be taking five minutes per day to just write bad poetry you know or to get the guitar out and literally just make a, a simple thing don't even try to like boil the ocean but play one chord over and over until you have it down but the the addi addition every day of that is incredible and one example i'll give I mean, albert I'll, I'll shut up in one second but i was no, reading, no. i was reading about ruth asawa who is a famous um 
Japanese American artist who was interned uh, in the internment camps during World War II. And she, back in those days, you know, came out of the internment camps, then afterwards went to Black Mountain College where she studied with jo Joseph Albers at the age of 20 as a woman, uh, you know, a minority woman. Wow. And she learned from Joseph Albers how to use everyday materials in order to create. And she didn't have like access to a lot of expensive materials like, you know, bronze casting or what have you. And so but she decided that she would use what was at hand and literally use wire to start making sculptures. And with Ozawa, continued to do that, uh, got married, built an art career and had six children. So she was an artist and had six children, a woman of color and doing all this at the same time in a period of time when it was very unusual for any women to be doing art at the level she was doing. And recently the USPS actually made a, a stamp for her, um, which was pretty extraordinary. But the thing is that she said, and I, I wrote about this in an essay I wrote recently, that struck with me is her son said that she talked about the importance of time and the importance of taking five minutes here, 10 minutes there mm -hmm. to just do something that was towards the goal, whatever that goal is. And you can imagine that I'm sure she was spinning so many, so many plates between being a mother, uh, a, a wife, an artist, and she was still able to produce an enormous amount of work. So whenever I feel badly about my time situation, I think about her and I think about the fact that you can have a huge amount of compound interest off of doing little bits every day consistently. So anyway, that's what um, I think you can do to create energy regarding creativity. Yeah, actually that reminds me that that part about, like, like it'd be interesting to talk more about like um, the philosophy of Ikigai, like, yeah. like this idea of having a purpose yeah. and, 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 and vocation. I think that purpose, I never really made that connection actually even for me, it's like generating that purpose, that's where the creativity comes in. I think that's, if you have that purpose, that focus, like that sense of like belief, like I'm going to be at the best at something yeah. or I'm going to solve this uh, issue or this is something that I'm going to focus my life energy into. Mm -hmm. that, and, then, and then if you could create a vocation around that, that's the, the Ikigai balance, I guess. Like oh, that. Don't, don't you feel like most people have an existential state of feeling like they're getting a paycheck, but they don't really believe in the work that they're doing. Right, right. That's the disconnect, right? Back That's to the disconnect. Like, yeah. You should have a yeah. purpose. And by the way, if you if you need to make money and you got to do whatever you got to do, do right, it. Right, right. Again, yeah. But you doesn't preclude the fact that you can't have purpose in your own life by doing something which is bigger than what you do for a living. And, and I look, I, I'm I'm very lucky. I love my job. I love the company I work at. But a lot of people don't have that, that alignment, you know, and, and they, they have a difficult time between the fact that they do something that they do to survive, but it doesn't preclude you from being able to do the thing that Ikigai, that you were talking about, which is a sense of purpose um, beyond all that. Like, and, and the weird thing about this is that once you have that sense of purpose, you will go from like going, oh, I got to get up early to do this to like, I can't wait to get up early to do this. Right. And the creativity comes, yeah. Comes because then suddenly you, you move from exhaustion to like, ah, oh, you know, and, and so as an example, like these very bright paintings that are behind me, 
are being done by me during this period of the pandemic as a way to record my feelings about the pandemic. And so I, I usually go from, I was going from a state of like going, oh, the malaise and depression about what's going on to like, no, how can I transform that into something that records it, you know, that becomes a record of it. And to Albert's point, the purpose became the theme of the pandemic. And so the series is called Chushin, which means in Japanese, the center. And there's a square in the middle of all these paintings, which is the center that my wife actually recommended I put into the paintings as a locus or a focus around which the chaos of what's going on comes around. And I realized that at times when it's like nine o'clock at night, I'd rather just get in front of the TV and watch something. It's much easier to kind of wind down. I'll actually go, oh, I gotta, I gotta do something here creative. And I go to the painting and as soon as I lay down one stroke, boom, I'm awake. But what stops you from doing that is the resistance of thinking about it. But if you have the purpose that, that Albert refers to, then it kind of works you through that problem. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. if, before moving on to the next question, um, thank you both. Uh, it made me think, currently I'm in the process of reading In Search of Lost Time. I know I think it touches on both of maybe what you're talking about by Marcel Proust. Mm -hmm. And I, I know, I think at some point he makes the comment that, you know, each of us as individuals have a duty to be the person that we're intended to be, so to speak, to share that person with society that we each of us has a duty. So I just thought it was, I don't know, I see a lot of parallelisms between what both of you are saying. Um, so uh, we might have already touched on this. I had, um, what does the word focus mean to you? And what does it mean to focus on a singular element? Um. Well, I'll jump in while he's reflecting. Yeah, I am <laughs> reflecting. One of those words. This is not to, um, uh, you know, one of the things I, I love about the films that you make on your site, Lana, on tea leaves, is that you actually have this amazing um, series of like, you know, showing chado, you know, the art of tea, as well as ikebana, the art of flower arrangement, um, and even the Chinese calligrapher. And what, what's interesting about all of those things is it requires focus. Mm -hmm. But focus has kind of a weird connotation to it, like the word discipline does, right? It's a little bit of like, ugh. But really, focus is relaxing into the moment mm -hmm. very much. And the only way that you can do ikebana, the, the art of flower arrangement, or shado, or chanoyu, or you know, the art of tea, is to be in that moment of doing it. And a lot of the art of tea in Japan came out of the famous Rikyu, who was a tea master. And he did this as a way to help the samurai, the Japanese you know, samurai warriors who lived by Bushido, the way of the warrior, deal with the fact that they were under constant stress you were possibly going to die at any moment because you, you had two swords and you were going to be in battle. So the reason why Zen took off in Japan so heavily was it was a way of dealing with being in the moment because tomorrow may not come. Mm -hmm. And Rikyu was able to basically use ceremony, kind of going back to the theme of this thing, mm -hmm. and uh, to bring you into a state of being in the moment. Mm -hmm. So the focus came from the fact that when you first went to a Kyoto tea house, mm -hmm. you had to actually go 
and bend down to go into the room. And so it, it literally you're bowing and you're stepping down to head into a space. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that you're now moving from the profane reality of every day into a sacred space. And so automatically by going through that ritual of stepping into it, you're now in a room which is going to affect you differently. And it's a very simple, clean room with a tokonoma, which is a space where you actually have a hanging scroll. You have a hearth in the metal, and you have a, usually a metal uh, titsubin, which is a metal teapot that's hanging from, this, you know, from the, the roof or the ceiling. And so by being in that space and sitting on a tatami mat in a very small room, you are now forced in a weird way to unravel all the things that bother you. And there's, of course, this whole ritual, which I know nothing about in terms of, you probably know much more than I do about the actual making of the tea, but all that has a, a, a rhythm and a cadence to it, which automatically bring you down into that. So interesting enough, the idea of focus has been around for a long time through ritual and creative ritual is important. One more example of that that I learned when I did Aikido was you would come into the dojo and this also when I did Judo, and then you would actually come in and bow into the actual space. And then the first thing you would do is clean the space because you're making it into an incredibly pristine environment upon which you are going to now practice the, the, the art of what you are doing. And so Aikido, do means way, and Judo, do means way, you know. And so the word is, the idea is that you're now stepping into the way of whatever the practice you're doing. So once you've cleaned the space, you then bow, you actually sit in meditation and then you bow in again before you then engage with the other practitioner. And that's all ceremony in order to move you from a state of like abstraction and noise and distraction into one of complete focus and centeredness. So I think that this idea of ceremony, creative ceremonies has been around historically, probably going way back. And the thing that we're just talking about today is bringing that back into everyday life in the Zoom era, the pandemic era. Yeah, actually, that brings a really interesting aspect, which I've been thinking a lot about, especially in this pandemic era, is this, like, like, like the Chado, the, the Ikebana, like this, this idea of Shokunin, like the, the, uh, the artisan, yeah. the focus to like, hey, it's not... 5,000 hours, it's not 1,000 hours, it's not 10,000 hours, it's, not, it's my lifetime. I'm going to devote my lifetime to attaining imperfection, which I know will never be achieved. Right. And I'm going to focus on my craft and, and the sense of, like, that's such an intense focus. Like, you're going to take away everything from your life, and that's what you're going to be good at. I think in, in the digital world, at least in my, in, in, in my space that I work on, working in digital space, I'm sure, John, that craft, that mm -hmm. sense of artisan, like it's so hard to attain because yeah. it's so impermanent. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's actually part of it me missing. I think that's, that's why I, I do other things outside of the digital world. Like I'm sure painting gives you that, that sense of craft, that artisanship. Yeah. I think that's another, like how do we make with our hands? Like that gives you focus too, that in some ways digital mediums don't as much. And, and it's funny, I, like I was in, actually before the pandemic, we were in Japan and we were touring all these old camera stores in Ginza and, oh, yeah. and, and my son was getting into like film cameras, like getting back to like, like, 
like actually <laughs> developing your own film, like this, mm-hmm. that craft, I think that's another way. It, how do we bring that back into our processes so that we can connect with the craft? And that's where energy comes from. So I think, I think that's, that's a, so many sourdough loaves being made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you. Oh, you could go on for hours with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, at least I know I can. I'm sure that. I know. We need somebody to drink some tea or something. I know. Okay. I, I, okay. I will call out I'm drinking oh, the tea leaf Gyokuro Asahi tea. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Product placement. It's yeah. really good. I'm drinking water myself, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, and thank you for the kind words about the film earlier as well. I wanted to put that out there. That's Natalie, who's our facilitator, is on. So I'm sure she's over the moon with those comments. So thank you. And thank you for both your kindness. She's very talented. Yeah. Thank you, Now, What is the impact of negative energy? And can this negative energy be harnessed for creativity? So um, if you feel that we've sort of touched on it, enough or if you'd like to comment either that absolutely love to hear thoughts um actually i, I didn't think a bit about like um boy i kind of I, I didn't grew, I, I grew up in in this kind of duality and and mm-hmm. and negative like energy to me it's all energy right mm-hmm. and and what's interesting I, I i was born in hong kong and it's you know like one of the most densest places it was it's and some people would call it chaos but there was kind of interesting uh, duality between kind of the Western British colonial with uh, Eastern Asian China heritage. And, 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 and I think that tension, it's actually something that I brought to my process as being something that you want tension to, mm-hmm. to create. And, and it is finding that balance, at least I've, I've been able to harness that where the negative energy and positive energy, or if you look at it as tension, like there's always going to be constraints, there's going to be like business goals, there's going to be like deadlines and, and costs and things on, on this side and, and, and Mao and Dao, right, John, like all these, all these things you're, that's pushing on, on, on driving the design to like, hey, the customer and, and, and how do we look at new ways of, of creating a value and, 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 and and try to create that balance. Mm-hmm. I think that that's if you manage that well. I think that's that's where that's where the goodness is. That's where that's where the light will come through. Let's look at like, hey, let's idealize the the back to that utopian world. And and I think then that misses like the richness of humanity. Uh, and and when even with this craziness in this world right now with pandemics, uh, racial injustice, take that as a moment. Like all that negative energy, it's horrible. But if you can, and it's hard, back to that empathy, because you so much of that is in you now. Uh, but harness it in a way you could look at that as, as what can we do to address that in a creative way, to create that balance. And, and, and there will be new innovations. There will, one thing I could bet on with technology and the things that we create, there will be a new thing. And, and it's how we, we, we create that balance, find that line, find that crack, I think that's that's where we can channel our creativity and and, and create create that balance for, for 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 the better I hope so so that's at least that's that's how I, I see it I, I'm, I'll build on Albert a bit there he, he and I have some similar similarity there because I'm actually half Japanese and I I was born in New Orleans but I went to school in Japan as a kid 
And so there was this uh, negative energy at the time. It's actually when my parents had me, it was still technically illegal to have biracial children at the time and you know uh in texas so the the interesting thing was there was a um the uh, challenge of growing up the only person of color and i looked much more asian when i was a kid in a very white environment and learning how to fend for myself uh, in that environment was really pretty intense and then here's the, the the kicker though is that then when i went to japan and i was nine and i was dropped into this school that was uh, almost 250 years old and never had a foreign student in it in its whole history. And I showed up with this giant target on my back. Uh, and so the interesting thing is I, I was suddenly then, I went from being kind of disparaged, you know, with, uh, you know, typical, you know, racist comments in America to having the exact same thing happen to me, except now it was white comments, you know, about being uh, a person who was mixed. And, and of course, what was interesting is that what was threatening to both cultures at the time, things have changed, was the uh, implicit kind of sense of like races being mixed, you know, whether it was in, um, in America or whether it was in Japan. And so there was this feeling of lessening, which I still think kind of permeates a lot of racist mentality that somehow you're going to brown out and become all kind of the same. But in reality, I found it, taking that negative construct and changing the story to where I magnified it into adopting what I thought was best from both the West and the East. So I, I learned both languages. You know, I learned how to speak Japanese fluently and read and write. I did the same thing, obviously, with English. And I decided to adopt both worlds and synthesize the two of them together um, to become whatever it is I am now. But learning that kind of tension between the two worlds and learning how to synthesize them, I think, is what became important because a lot of people I know who are either Asian American or a mixed race uh, tend to associate with one side or the other. They tend to adopt one identity. And I'm like, oh, why? You know, you should be able to pick and choose the way that Bruce Lee picked and choose whatever he wanted from different martial arts to make Jeet Kune Do, just make it yours. And what's interesting too, is that ultimately human culture is what's important, not the way you look. You know, the physical manifestations of that is one thing that we tend to address. But I've met people in Japan who are blonde and, and blue-eyed who speak Japanese so much better than I do. You know, and I've met people who are obviously fully Japanese-American who don't speak a word of Japanese. And it doesn't matter because it has to do with whether it resonates with you or not. Right. And, and, you know, dynamics, the phenotype of, of how you are expressed physically changes. My daughter, my teenage daughter is six feet tall and she's got blonde hair and hazel eyes and she's a quarter Japanese. So go figure, right? You know, <laughs> so it, 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 what I'm saying is that the world is going to become more like that. And what is important is not necessarily the way you look, even though that's a huge part of it. People judge no matter what. We judge ourselves constantly how we look because we're tribal, but taking the goodness of those cultures and bringing those forward, I think is important. So instead of like having this kind of conservative, like, you know, lock-in mentality, it's being more expansive and allowing for more creative mutation to happen. Hmm. And increase biodiversity of thought. Exactly. Like you don't want to have a lot of culture, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, like energy, I, I look at almost like circles 
like different circles. Um, like there's your inner circle, that's your family, like your loved ones, people around you. Uh, and, and how do you create energy, connect with them? And, and thankfully, at least for me, like my family is with me. And so we're together and we could, uh, and, and spend time. We do like, <laughs> and we try to do this like every Friday or Saturday, we do a virtual cooking class with friends. Uh, so we all cook the same meal. Uh, that's my inner circle. And, and, and that's how I, I kind of reconnect and people gives you energy. Yeah. Um, another ritual I do with my team is I do a daily uh, uh, check-in, just 15 minutes uh, with my leads. And there's no topics. It's just like, hey, how are you doing? Uh, people can ask like questions or pop up like, hey, would you? what's on your Hulu queue? <laughs> like, 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 like just... <laughs> and 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 so it's really just uh, making that human connection that's so hard uh because like that that gives me like uh, energy that's that's another circle too with teams like like with larger groups like being able to join a conference uh a talk like this i haven't i haven't seen john for uh, physically for a long time uh-huh. and and you're the same with you lena like like that gives energy doing like finding those sources so creating these rituals or activities so uh even for myself just pushing myself to hey i'm gonna work on uh, a course for this uh september mm-hmm. with uh school of visual art in new york just like hey let's let's work on something that that i could put energy into so it's not all focused on my day-to-day i think that's a another way to to kind of create energy uh get into that flow and and be creative um, so yeah definitely think about the different circles in your life the inner circle, the outer circle, different rings, uh, and, and how do you create energy in each one? Uh, so, I love that. That's, that's really cool. The, I, I, do, I do find that one of the things, if you want to say creative, be around creative people or connect with creative right. people, because you tend to, the old saying, like you, you're the total sum of, the, of your five closest friends, you know, like in your behavior. The more that you're around extraordinary people and the more you associate people who are trying to achieve good things in life, you tend to mirror that too. So one of the things that I, I, I also do is I mentor people, not only within my company, but also students that have just reached out to me and said, hey, can we have a conversation? And, and, and those turn into really interesting energetic exchanges between I guess my elder wisdom now, <laughs> and then, you know, comparative to a, a 21 year old, and then the perspective that they have on the world that I, I just don't have, because I'm not from that time period, I'm not aware of that. And, and the more that you can move into a, a dialogue with someone, and hopefully, not just people that you agree with, not people that are your age, or your gender, or your race, mm-hmm. but, or, you know, but people who are a, different gender, different age range, different, and that means older and younger in order to do that. So I, I find huge value by talking to people who are 20 years older than me, as well as people who are 20 years younger than me. And yeah, right. actually, have you tried reverse mentoring too? Like no, actually I have some, yeah, that's one thing I tried, like have someone like straight out of school, just like, hey, and then they mentor you. <laughs> like I like that. Uh, yeah, and and actually, it's actually interesting because, like, just again, shifting perspective, having someone that like and and like, oh, here's what I'm thinking of my team, or here's a problem I'm working on, uh, and then getting their thoughts on how they would approach it. It's actually pretty eye-opening because, in fact, we all have a also like 
I have a lot of biases. <laughs> so like realizing, oh, actually that's, yeah, that's a whole different way of looking at it. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I think in a way that since I'm mentoring uh, this one young woman right now who's from Stanford and she's brilliant in her, in her drive and how she does things in a way that I, I'm always amazed. Like, how did you get that meeting? And, and uh, I, you know, she's like, well, I, I just reached out to that person. You know, and, and I just was able to do that. And there's a kind of amazing, speaking about energy, uh, the energy of youth and the fact that they haven't gotten their hand, you know, slapped yet in a way that a lot of people as they get older tend to go, I don't want to go down that route anymore because I'm, I'm tired of, of like not getting it. But in reality, a lot of the energy of youth, um, and this kind of goes back to the rebellion thing that I was referring to, it's like this almost this punk ethos of like, I'm just going to do it, which, yeah. which I, I appreciate because when you're younger and you have that, you've got nothing to lose. Why not do it? Part of the thing that happens as we get older <clears throat> is we tend to have more, more responsibilities, more stuff, and our, our risk profile reduces exponentially. The trick is to keep going forward in spite of that. Because again, the thing I was saying about this morning in advance of this meeting is that I think that even in our, in our own private moments, we tend to, there's no one in your head. You can think about anything. You can be as ostentatious and crazy in your head as you ever want to be. And that's what younger people still have. You know, they, they, they don't, they haven't reduced that. And what's interesting is as we get older, we tend to kind of reduce it and go, oh, I'm getting older. I can't learn a language. I'm too old for that. I can't learn how to do X, Y, and Z. My body's not strong. You're giving yourselves all these reasons for like not doing it versus doing the opposite of like, why not in your head, go crazy. What if you did X? What if you thought, we don't even allow ourselves to entertain those crazy ideas. And that's primarily the difference between, between the fact that younger people have that ability to still tap into that excitement of like, why not? You know, versus when you get older, you're like, oh, I don't know, it's a little dangerous. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So what, going back to the, the reverse mentoring thing that Albert's mentioning, that's an interesting, yeah. I think I've maybe inadvertently been getting <laughs> yeah. reverse mentored without really realizing that. Let's see, so we still have time for a few more. Um, how can we innovate and solve the big intractable problems using creativity? So if you're talking about cleaning the oceans or climate change, that's what I think a lot of design thinking is, could be geared towards. And the, the interesting thing is that during this time of a reset, when we're looking at our purpose and our values, mm -hmm. of like what we're doing, this, this interesting idea of like, can we take a percentage of the time that we spend creatively working on our businesses and then use that same thinking to affect change globally, you know, like what, yeah. are those, what are those things, you know, what are those groups of creative people that we can join, you know, to help do that? Albert, go ahead. Yeah, like, actually, I mean, think a lot about this, because like systemic, right? Sometimes it seems so intractable. It's so like, so large. At, at the same time, like, I think one of the superpowers, like the amazing thing that we can do as creatives, as, as designers, as makers is, we, we have this superpower called, what if? We can, we can actually imagine what it could be and and make a picture of that and show like an image uh like Wittengard like if you can actually communicate what that could be and and show it and 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 show a picture of it like like that is so like 
you can write like you know a ten thousand page policy and say like oh here's change, but if you actually show it, yeah, that is so much more powerful uh, and resonates with humans because humans, uh, we 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 connect obviously with stories, but imagery, that's even more powerful obviously, and and I think how do we show what the new Seattle waterfront can look like? To what what can uh, how can we show what uh, racial equality could be? Mm. I think I think that what spirits that's what we can create energy from that for yeah. others not just for ourselves and I, I think that's one 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 way perhaps uh that we can help with this intractable and it is it does seem so intractable but uh we can actually create energy for others through our ability to show what if the world could be so well, i like i like that well, i mean as a practical example when i started at hulu in 2016 one of the things that I did is within a month, I asked for budget to make a short film to show what the, the, the pre-visualization of what the Hulu experience would be a year from now, from that period. And they allowed me to do that. So instead of like focusing on the UX and focusing on, I, I didn't know what the UX was going to be at that time, the, the interface was going to look like. I focused on how human beings were going to interact with this thing that we were making, a, a day in the life of young people in Brooklyn in this case and how the, the product we were making was going to touch their lives throughout the day and move seamlessly from like the television in, in the living room to their phone, to being in a car, to gathering as, as people. Because the power of storytelling um, was what I was trying to use by storytelling. You know, the fact that the story of where we're going and in my particular company deals with storytelling, obviously, was very powerful because then suddenly people go, oh, that's what we're making. That's what we're doing. And it, everybody aligns to that. And so what Albert's saying, I, I totally agree. If there's a way that as designers, we can help to pre-visualize it. It doesn't have to be like a movie. Like that, but it can be literally a way to start to show a better way of where we can be and how we can be, uh, the better it is. because the, biggest power I think right now in the world are news media and news media tells a story again there's a thing that happens whatever that thing is and then it's interpreted one way by the right and another way by the left but there's just a thing that happened and then that ability to tell the story on either parts of the spectrum changes how human behavior is so if we can show a news story through design however we do that it shows a better way and it's non-political, but it's inclusive. I think that's gonna help people move that direction. Open source. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful world it would be. Ah, <laughs> love the fact you're both working on this. Um, oh, oh, wow, okay. So we may have, I might be able to squeeze in, I think at least one more and then we are getting, unfortunately, so sadly, near the end of our time, it went so quickly. Um, in the context of culture, creativity, and rituals, what is the meta-modernistic ritual? <laughs> you can take that one, Albert. <laughs> wow, thanks. Uh, yeah, like, like, like the meta-modernist, it's kind of interesting, like this, this idea of, of like what, like, because everything's a ritual, right? Like you have your calendar. And, and I've been thinking a lot about like time, like the biggest scarcity of, in our 
mm-hmm. our world today for at least a lot of us is time, right? That is, that is the, the commodity that all of us have. And then, and the meta part to me is actually, can you make time? Like, like, it's like, 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 how do you think about time in a different way? And there's slow time, there's fast time. And again, it sounds very meta. Uh, but I think creativity, when you're in the flow, you don't even realize time. Yeah. Like it, you are just in it. And, and, and that's this, like rethinking time and time management, because we, for a lot of time, we work on things that was like time management, a lot of productivity, like a lot of these digital tools, right? So the meta part to me is actually rethinking like moments of time and, and what is, it's like a different unit of time almost. I know it seems very meta. Like this, this idea of can you make time with time itself? Uh, so maybe that's, that's a question for the group. I'm not saying there's an answer, but I think rethinking time is probably an area that, that seems very meta in terms of rituals. Uh, and, and like Chado today wouldn't work for a lot of people because of time involved. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it's so different in and, and, and this, and this attention-focused world that we're in, uh, so. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a difference between busyness and productivity. A lot of people um, are busy and their companies reward them for being busy, which oftentimes means spending hours doing emails or scheduling meetings and, and those are important things to do but I do I, I agree with Albert that time is really relative and it's it's an artificial construct you know to a large extent uh, Einstein proved that it's relative and so I find that time does both slow down and speed up when I'm creatively involved with something hours go by I have no idea like how it turned out to be two o'clock in the morning on the other hand when I'm not engaged, it's completely painful, you know, to be in a meeting in which I'm just waiting for someone to please shut down the meeting sooner than that, than it needs to be going on. So what the commonality there has to do with my engagement uh, in both or lack of engagement. And I find that time can bend to me when I'm engaged. I'm, I tend to be a slave to time when I'm not engaged with, with things that I have to do or I don't want to do the thing I have to do. And then suddenly it becomes, becomes this horrible kind of grinding gears feeling of like, oh, I gotta do this and I gotta do that. But again, if I, if I reduce time back to like, I'm just in the moment right now, and in this moment I can control what I'm feeling and what is going on around me, then the anxiety of time slows down. Unfortunately, we've we've run out of time, which I'm not surprised. I knew that was going to happen with the two of you, honestly. Hopefully, maybe at a future date, you'd be willing, if this was not too painful, to come back again. I mean, there's so many questions we didn't get to as well. Again, not surprised, but I would love to pay homage for all of us who have honored us with our time today here. We'd just like to thank you. We hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. we hope that you leave here feeling empowered, engaged, and reconnected to your own nature and that of Mother Earth's wellness and resilience for all. Um, by tapping into the power inherent in each of you, you can affect positive change in your environment and your fellow human beings and in the broader world that envelops us. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Elena. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you again, John.
Thank you for joining us. For more education, enlightenment, and enchantment, head to tealeaves.com.